I love San Francisco. I'm not entirely in love with what's happened to it, what's happening to it, but it's still there. It's the environment and the vibe, and it still has bits of what was, but not a lot. But it's still there, and I—that's what I gravitate towards. That was skincare professional and San Francisco native Daryl Lim. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, we bring you photographers, musicians, doctors, and other San Franciscans talking about living, working, and doing their thing here. It's a way to get to know your neighbors. And now we have merch. If you go to the store on our website, storiedsf.com, you can find t-shirts, hats, and koozies with a logo that Jim Murphy designed for us. They were printed in San Francisco by local shop Babylon Burning, whose owner Mike Lynch will be featured on an upcoming episode. Welcome to episode 43, part one. In this podcast, Daryl walks us through growing up in North Beach. He shares stories of his first coffee, his first clubs, the schools he went to, and some of the colorful San Francisco characters he misses. Here's Daryl. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I love as I got older. I, I mean, I just loved growing up in North Beach. I love the, the first coffee I ever had in my life was an espresso at Cafe Trieste. And then going, and then when I was in fifth grade, I went to a, the first class of the hippie school is called Rooftop School. And it was just, and we call, all, all of our teachers are all hippies. They had big old beards and long hair, and and they all the all the women wore like these muumuu patched up dressy things, and we had chickens that we had to take care of. We called everybody by their first, all the teachers by their first name, and we sang this folky folky opening song. We didn't sing the Pledge of Allegiance. We sang like some "Open the Door and Come on In" song with a guitar. It was really funny, but it was. I, and we only we had one period where we would go to the park every day, and it was hippie school, and, the, and it was amazing actually. I want to go to that school. It sounds it was, great. It, when they started, it isn't that that way anymore since it be, be, became part of the school system completely. Right. And they changed the curriculum, and they they hire proper teachers now. But we we had this amazing like it was just the same kinds of people the people that hung out at City Lights. And like we had this one teacher, Mr. Nice. Oh my God, that was the funniest thing. Was that and his real name? Yes, his name was Mr. Nice. But you know, he was a little. He I wouldn't say he was nice. He was a little. He liked kids, but he he they would annoy him, and he would like discipline you vocally. But he was the best storyteller because he would visually do things when he would read stories to you. Like he he'd reenact the wind, and he'd reenact all the animal voices and. We loved him. I mean, he was amazing. And then when we, when, when, when they had to discipline the kids, we had this thing that was really controversial, which would, when one of the kids would act up and, and they would, like, be bullying, the bullying was handled by, they called it the hot seat. And all, all the ones that were, did something bad, they had to sit in these seats, and the entire school sat around them, which was small. We were, like, three classrooms. And then everybody would tell them like how that made them feel, so the teachers would in, 
It was like this weird hippie therapy thing. Like, how did that make you feel, Tom? But they were encouraging you to be expressive, right? Something, I don't know. But, but or the to teachers, talk about how you... I mean, but the teachers, but the parents got mad saying that it was a, it was a passive-aggressive way of bullying people, reverse. Hmm. Because they were like being, being put in the middle and... It was intimidating, but you know they were really. Some of them were really, you know, kids can be mean. Um, but I got a lot of that in North Beach. You know, my uncle, my uncle Ed, who raised me um, after my parents' divorce, um, he opened me to all kinds of things in North Beach, like leftists, socialists, like groups, and it also got us got him in a little trouble because I, we think he was watched for a while. But he wasn't a communist. He was just interested in everybody. He was like, I want to hear it. It really shaped my thinking. Mm-hmm. To be open and to just like, even if I don't agree with it, to listen to it. Yeah, and hanging out in <clears throat> bookstores and coffee stores in North Beach, you're basically a communist. Kinda. <laughs> no, I'm, jo- I'm joking. Yeah, but that's, that's I, know, I know, I know. It is like, but, when in but, reality, yeah, he's but just like a... Would, people would see us like that, like yeah. because my, you know... Uncle Larry at, at the bookstore was used to babysit me at City City Lights, you know, when my uncle had to drop me off somewhere mm-hmm. when my dad couldn't, you know, do it or nobody was around. Mm-hmm. And Are you so talking I, about Ferlinghetti? Yeah. Okay. So I was around there all the time, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, but I didn't know anybody was anybody, you know, it was like, as I got older and these people got famous, I was like, oh, that person used to read me stories and... And then, you know, in the summers, he made me go out with his hippie friends who were like my uncles. You know, you call them uncles, but they're not really. So I went to Esalen when I was like about 10 or 11 and swim in the pools and run around naked. and Which irritates like the people I've been with as I, through the years now, you know, because I, cause I, I run around my house naked all the time. And, you know, Rick always like gets mad at me, you know, my, my, my boyfriend gets mad because I'm like... I like clean the house in my clogs naked, and it's not that I'm doing it for any like titillating thing, but it's like practical. You don't, you know, yeah. all the water and cleaning. And you're wearing clogs, so I mean. Yeah, and I'm wearing clogs. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that 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 got me the whole Esalen thing, and we'd go, let me go for like two weeks out of, in the summers, and everybody goes, "How did your mother let you do that?" And my uncle said, "I didn't, I didn't tell her." I didn't tell your father. I was just like send you because I thought it was good for you. Esalen is a commune, um, conference center, um, early new age hippie. It was built on, on native land that had on the cliffs these baths that funnel hot spring water onto these naturally natural pools on these cliffs. And they used to be open 24 hours a day. Can I tell you why they they don't open the 24 hours anymore? Sure, please do. Well, what happened when you're like they did this for like over 40, 50 years, and then in the last few years, some people got too high in the tubs at night, and they died boiled. Wow. From being high and being in the water, and they didn't know when to come out, and they drowned, and so they've stopped. They have it more regulated now because of liability. But is it was this, but sorry, it was magical. Is this down near Big Sur? Is it yes. that one? Yeah, so the one it's in Mad ma- Men. It's magical. Right? Have you watched Mad Men? Yes. The one at the end of yes, Mad Men. Yes, that's exactly. Place. Yeah, yeah. That's what, I, that's what I thought. I just wanted it to is, get it on. It's yeah. magical. And the people I met when I was, 
you know, it really shaped like because I got my first massage there um, when I was like I think I was like 12 or 11 or 12 and and uh, I got Rolfed but I didn't know I got Rolfed because I was like used as a test patient for Ida Rolf the, the founder of Rolfing and you know all these people are really, really famous now but I didn't realize it was anything I just like she's really got big hands <laughs> got big German lady hands and she was like kneading me really hard but I kind of liked it that reaction that you'd get though when you would tell people and including your your mom um, that you were going to or you had been at Eslan was that was the reputation that it was just this free love hippie yeah my mom was worried that I was gonna be be um, molested by hip by greasy hippies I actually saw my first like people making out and stuff and around well, you said you were 10 when you went there? or 11. Well, yeah, that's pretty young. But, you know, it had a bunch of, there were like a bunch of kids, and they had an organic garden, and, you know, everybody went, like, there was Jack LaLanne and Paul Bragg and all these, all these people that were in the, the they call it the naturist movement, which is just saying, like, I want to get naked so I can get a tan everywhere and not have a tan line. <laughs> Let's be honest. No, and it's just, but but you know, it really had a good. This was post hippie, so it was right at the beginning, right before disco, and right after the hippie movement in in San Francisco. Kind of mid seventies. Yeah, so you know, you had still all that really. I really didn't. I thought it was silly when I was a little kid, but now I go back and think, they really had something, and it was really magical. The whole. The philosophy of, the, of, of of free love. I mean, it's it seems very idealistic, but I just now I kind of look at it differently. Like it's there was if we had a little more kindness and a little more love. I know that sounds really, you know, Pollyanna-ish, but there is something to it. If the one thing I've learned is like kindness. You know, we're living in a time where that's just people don't give it. It's like just just be nice a little bit, you know. Being open to things. Yeah. Being open to things. That's what I learned. Mm-hmm. You know? Hippies would get mad when people were mean, which I loved. And they did it in that really kind of really, hey, man, it's not cool. You're so square. It's so funny. Um, and it was weird. You know, it's funny. We had cousins who were older than us that were hippies. And... They were dating people in like Sly and the Family Stone and and the Fifth Dimension. I'm just name dropping, but it was true, and it was funny because we those people were like kind of sliding around my aunt's sandwich shop on Market Street. Oh yeah, Quinma. Quinma, and um, and my all my cousins had long hair with bangs, and they had you know daisy chains. Do you remember when Sly was a uh, a radio when he, DJ? When he had his mind, yeah. Well, that too. But do you remember when he was on the radio before he was a music? Well, before his music. No, I just off. remember his music. I remember seeing him at the Fillmore. I remember seeing Ar- Aretha Franklin the first time, and it was so inspiring at the Fillmore. I just I remember just like that that something. There was something really, really fresh and prime, and it was, it was really primal. No, actually, in school, actually, I was invisible, really, because 
it was it was I think it's also you know when you're like a young gay person you know you're not like everybody else but you can't really talk to anybody and and something's going on but it's also hidden underneath things because you know when you're when you're 10 it's not your sexuality doesn't come out sexual it comes out as these little weird feelings and impulses yeah, you don't always have vocabulary. And you don't know what it is, it. but you know you're not like everybody else. So my reaction to it was to um, become invisible. Mm-hmm. And that's how I dealt with it all the way through high school. Mm-hmm. Until high school. like No, high school I was, I was pretty out. Because we, I had my little, we had our little gay group. We had all of our like, we, we all got figured out how to get like IDs and we all went out to the clubs. You know, I don't know how we did that. And we were like, I, I had no money. And my one girlfriend, she grew up in the hood. But she, her, her, her idol was Grace Jones. Felicia Alexander, I hope you hear me. And she, she got me in more trouble. But we had fun. And she, one day, I didn't have no clothes. So she got some sheets and she made me some parachute pants. And she bought, we, 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 she got some, she stole some Capizios because she got new my size. And she stole some from the Salvation Army. And we went to the Trucadero. Yeah. And I had the best time the first time. It was magic. I was going to ask if you remember other names of clubs that you were going to in high school. Dreamland, Oil Can Harry's. The first gay club I went to was Busby's on Polk Street, which is now a hookah shop. Polk in California. Back when Polk was gay. Yeah, because Polk Street was very gay. And, like, all the hookers were at the end around, like, Sutter and Post. Mm -hmm. And the rest of it was just, like, gay cabaret places. My friend, the artist Jerome, which, if you look him up, you'll you'll see his stuff. He was, like, an art personality. He was, like, a kind of, like, this just really crazy... He had... You could say he was he was transgender, but it was more than that. It wasn't really transgender. It was like his own persona. And this happened during a period in the late 80s, the late 80s and 90s, where there was this whole underground kind of grunge gay scene that I was very much a part of. And um, there were all these clubs that were just fun. What were some of the names of those places? God, I can't remember. There was one that used to be. <laughs> they were that they, good, they were, huh? No, they were at the end up. And it had a really kitschy name to it. I'll, I know it'll come back to me in a minute. Oh, so it was like a night at. It was at a night. It was a night. It was a club that happened once a week for years. And um, my friend Tom, who worked at Amoeba forever, he was the doorman, and I, I just, we st- it was the most fascinating. It was this weird grunge, drag, thing. That I, I think all the boys wanted to be Courtney Love, except more dirty. But they dressed in all that baby doll, baby doll dresses and '90s and ripped up like fishnets. They write on themselves. Oh yeah, they wrote thing. on themselves. They wrote on their face. But Jerome had made a whole lifestyle of this, and and um, his art. He did all. He did all that weird little. Just when you look at a Jerome, you'll see it all. It's, he has a whole page on Facebook and everything. You could, but he had all this weird things. He would get like um, coasters and he would like put like glue things on them. And 
And then he he painted and he took pictures and did collage. It's like his life was art. Yeah. yeah. But it, he was it wasn't that he was the most amazing artist. It was just that it was just him being himself and doing it on things. Like yeah. he would just get he go, "Give me your t-shirt." And then he would take out all of his like his like um, markers and he'd like mark it. But you know, you know now all that stuff is worth a lot of money. It's so weird. He was, he was just my weird little friend. You know, like oh, here he goes again. You know, he said, "Take off your pants. I could do something to that ass." You know, no, seriously, he was really funny. But he was such a personality, and those are the people I miss. There's like, the mission had these characters. You know, mm-hmm. the the white lady. She wore white, and she put white powder all over her face, and she'd walk around endlessly. And they had it like the red guy with the big Mexican hat with the red he'd paint his he'd like put red makeup all over his face and he had this skinny little mustache and he'd just walk endlessly through the mission. And now they're they're gone. Like these characters, and then there's the bird guy at the sixteenth Street Bart station. The bird guy who hand out his poems about what he thought and what he saw and you know it may not it was the same guy who would always be at adobe too right yeah at yeah. adobe books yeah. or he was at that other buddhist bookstore down a little farther mm-hmm. and, he, and he was you know any any he, he just fed the birds and then you'd always have those those like proper little white ladies going stop feeding the birds you know and he'd go don't worry about it ma'am i'm not feeding you yeah you know, but he was there all the time. And those characters are, even though they're like, they're just, it's just this interest that I, I miss. Check back Thursday to hear Daryl talk about living with AIDS. Music for this episode is by Otis McDonald, a.k.a. Joe Bigale. Film photography for the podcast is by Michelle Kilfeather. Follow Storied San Francisco on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find all the episodes and photos of storytellers on our website, storiedsf.com. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Send comments and suggestions to storiedsf at gmail.com. Daryl's sister Erin is one of our friends who've been doing Bitch Talk podcasts for more than five years now. They're celebrating their 300th episode this Saturday with the DJ, breakfast burritos, and beer and wine. The party is going to be at Fleetwood in the Tenderloin from 11 a.m. to 2 in the afternoon. Go over to Eventbrite and search for Bitches and Brunch for sliding scale tickets. Thanks for listening.